Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. About two years ago, during an historical conservation project in Midyat in southeast Turkey, construction workers discovered a limestone cave. From that first opening, workers dug further in and deeper down, finding a passage that led to other chambers. As archaeologists were called in, over the two years that have followed, 49 chambers have been unearthed in all. It quickly became clear that what had been discovered was an underground city, remnants of connecting passages, water wells, grain storage silos, the rooms of homes, and places of worship have all been excavated. The underground site, now known as Matayate, which means city of caves in ancient Assyrian, is believed to be up to four million square feet in area, extensive enough to have housed a remarkable 60 to 70,000 Christians and Jews believed to have settled there fleeing persecution from the Romans. There are something like 40 other such sites in Turkey. Yet unlike most of the others, Matayate is likely to have existed underground all the while, while a city hustled and bustled above them on the surface. Just imagine it, an entire city of people under the feet of those above, giving birth, raising children, dying, all unnoticed under the earth. As I've sat with that image this week, I've wondered what it must have been like when the time finally came for the people to emerge from their dwellings under the ground. What kind of intentions did they have for their lives once they were able to breathe the air, to feel the sun, to walk upright and free? There's a degree to which we've all been living in a similar such underground state through the long, dark passageway of this pandemic. For a while there, it felt like all of life was somehow submerged by this deadly virus. I wonder if you also felt fatigued in those early months that every news story seemed to be about COVID. Rather perversely, even our Netflix viewing tended to the apocalyptic which movies with movies such as Contagion and Outbreak soaring up into the top ten. We watch them too. When you're stuck underground, you might as well study the ceiling. How much we are emerging from our COVID containment remains to be seen. A recent Pew Research survey found that church attendance has hit a plateau following a post-COVID lockdown surge to return to places of worship. Here at All Saints, we face the peculiar reality that whilst we are growing in membership and supporting the church financially to record levels, we still hover at about two-thirds of our pre-COVID average attendance levels. Is this the new normal for in-person church? The same question is being asked in gyms, in social clubs, in cinemas, or in the number of people volunteering in schools and other places. If we are emerging from the cave, 
then how much more emergence is there to go? At this juncture, answers to such questions are beyond the horizon. What isn't beyond us, though, is what we might want our intentions to be for our life together as we do reemerge. Who is it that we wish to be as the church in the time to come? As we think about that, what is fascinating about our scripture readings today is how they offer us two fundamentally different answers to that question. The first is the one we find in John's gospel and the vision of the church as the crucible of our individual transformation. It is in many ways a typically curious tale about Jesus. Surrounded by a sea of people longing for healing at the sheep gate of the city, Jesus picks out just one. We don't really know why. We do hear that this man has been suffering for 38 years, a life lived metaphorically underground, submerged in his suffering. The moment of transformation in the story is sudden and direct. Do you want to be made well? Jesus asks. When the answer returns in the affirmative, Jesus cuts out the middleman and proclaims him healed. Take your mat and walk. It's hard to overstate just how thoroughly this vision of the Christian life has permeated American Christianity in particular. In its fusion of the Protestant work ethic with the rugged individualism of our dominant culture. Not only is it a story of individual salvation, perhaps the preeminent theology in much of American Christianity today. It is salvation contingent on the man being more than a passive recipient of grace. He first has to decide to get up. This is the story we celebrate in our cultural memory, the person who overcomes adversity. The other vision on offer today comes from the book of Revelation. Here we are also in the holy city, but this time in the new Jerusalem, in a cosmic vision of a river of life flowing from the throne of God through the middle of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life whose leaves offer healing to the nations. A common interpretation is to see this new Jerusalem as the church, the healing force flowing out of God's sovereignty over the world, dwelling in the heart of the life of God's new creation. The version of the Christian life here is inherently communal. Healing is something found within the community of the church itself, situated not away from the life of the world, but at its very heart. Two scriptures, two visions of how we might wish to reemerge as the church in the years to come. Of course, the implication of hearing these readings together today is that the church is intended to be about both visions, about individual transformation and about the transformation of the world. Yet our distinctiveness in being a both-and church in an increasingly either-or society is more than just that fact. It is that we see the transformation of one as contingent on the other. We won't truly be equipped to transform the world without also transforming ourselves. 
And we won't be able to experience transformation within ourselves without committing our lives to a vision of a more just and loving world. Given that, I wonder if you might allow me to describe a couple of commitments that I believe would help us become that sort of both-and community. One is the commitment to the gift of each other. It's all too easy to assume the worst about someone else's politics. All too straightforward a path to slide down when we move quickly to judgment and contempt. Yet here we have the opportunity to fashion a different kind of appreciation of our differences, a truly Anglican middle way, where we seek to learn from and be enriched by people who see the world differently to ourselves. There are plenty of echo chambers people can become part of in the world today. The church doesn't need to be among them. What might it be like if church was the place in your life where you practice that kind of spacious generosity for others' views and passions? What sort of community would people experience here if they discovered in us a people where we put that into practice? It's a commitment that won't become real unless and until we choose to engage one another across our differences. At our best, All Saints has been a church over the long term that has thrived through times of conflict. In the spirit of that tradition, rather than avoid our differences, I invite us to engage them. Rather than step aside from this community when we find ourselves in disagreement with what is said and done, I invite us to walk toward that point of difference and discover what that convergence opens up for us all. The other intention is our commitment to the world. All of us are appalled by what happened in Buffalo, New York. There is no version of the sort of country we wish for our children and grandchildren to inherit that embraces the naked hatred and grotesque violence perpetrated by a lone gunman who drove 200 miles from his home to kill people simply because they didn't look like him. It is heinous, and it is utterly contrary to the will of God. All that has fostered that kind of hatred and vitriol in our society is sinful and should be condemned as such. For the members of this church who have slept less easy these past several days, wondering over the degree to which your own racial identity marks you or your loved ones out for danger, please know that we stand with you and we condemn racism in all its forms. Yet it will be our ongoing desire to go deeper into the roots of things that will be the measure of our commitment whether on this tragic issue or any other that grieves the heart of God. If we are to commit to the world, then let us also commit to talk in this place about the breeding ground our society has made for hatred and violence. Let us ask what we can do in the face of a grotesque crescendo of hate speech in recent years. 
Let this church be a place for real conversation about the seemingly never-ending weaponization of American society. Let this be a place where we can talk about such things because our society needs thoughtful and prayerful people capable of articulating a better vision of life together than this malformed version we are being offered. On this and on all that undercuts Jesus' vision of a world where justice and peace reign, the church has a vocation to cultivate a deeper sense of what a moral community looks like. Commitment to one another, commitment to the world, invitations to life together that have always been the hallmarks of the followers of Jesus. I pray that as we emerge out of this long season and gather in this place once more that our life together will be marked by such intentions. There is so much to be thankful for in the life of this church, so much that brings hope to others, so much that allows us to find hope in ourselves. May we trust in the God who calls us on the one whose love will indeed transform us all. Amen.